Well, <clears throat> good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. We started a new series last week uh, called Brand New, and if you missed that, you can catch up on our, our website, the audio. Uh, this is a series we're going to do through the month of uh, January, and it kind of builds on itself, so I'll review a little bit this morning, but it'd be great if you went back and, and caught up <clears throat> and uh, can join us for the rest of the series. So, a little catching up. So Jesus came and started something brand new. He was Jewish, he came out of Judaism, but he wasn't going to make an extension of Judaism. He was going to start something brand new. And so we said that the old was something called the temple model. And it, was, it wasn't just uh, from Judaism, it was all ancient religions and all even modern religions. And unfortunately, most of Christianity follows the temple model. And it consists of these four things. Sacred places. Uh, often with a sacred building and a place that you have to go because that's more sacred than someplace else you might be or someplace else you might go. <clears throat> and then it involves sacred text. So there would be certain writings that were considered sacred or special or unique. And then there'd be sacred men in these sacred places that would interpret the sacred text, tell the sincere followers what they mean because they were... Uh, what's the word I want? Special, I guess. And they can interpret those for uh, the poor followers, the seer followers, the, the, the peons. And so they would say to the followers, we have the inside track to God and we know what you need to do. And uh, if you don't do this or you do that, God's going to get you. And so consequently, the followers lived in fear and intimidation and even superstition uh, because of what the sacred men were telling them. <clears throat> so Jesus came and said, I, I'm going to do away with all of that. Not just some of it. I'm going to do away with all of that, and we're going to start something brand new. And we had four components of that. It was a new covenant. That's a new arrangement between God and the people. He said, the old didn't work very well. I'm going to bring something new, and this is going to be great. This is going to work perfectly. He says it's going to involve a new command, singular. singular. You, know, you have all these hundreds of commands, even the Ten Commandments. Now, now, we're going to basically do away with those, which is kind of scary. He goes, hey, how do we know what's right and wrong? He says, I'm going to give you a new command. Then he says it's going to involve a new ethic, a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling, a new attitude, a new way of relating to people, and it's going to trickle down into all your relationships. And then he says it's going to be a new movement. It's going to be about gatherings or a sacred people would say ecclesia, sacred men. And, and you all don't know Greek and I do, so I'm you know, able to tell you what it means. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was, unfortunately it wasn't translated in our English text and it was translated church, which usually means uh, a building. Uh, but it literally, so I'm going to start a new movement that involves gatherings or congregations or groups of people. So let's kind of summarize then the temple model. First, it was built around a standard that only elite could meet. So these sacred men would interpret the sacred text and have an uh, interpretation that, hey, we're good at this, you're not so good at this, we're better than you, and so we can meet, it, meet this standard, but you can't. Now we're going to talk about a little bit later that Jesus raised the standard, and so no one can meet it, and then he met it for us, and he, he suffered and died for us. Temple model also required the followers then to come there to make peace with God. 
because the sacred men were the only ones to be able to tell them, and you have to come to the sacred place. And Jesus said, we're going to do away with that. We're going to do away with sacred places and sacred men. <clears throat> and it's not going to be about so much about your relationship with God because, because in me, Jesus, uh, you're good. Once you become a Jesus follower, we're good. So you need to focus not on the vertical but on the horizontal, uh, making peace with people because you've already got peace with God. And then it was also, this was kind of unusual, it was nation specific. So if you're Jewish, you had to go to Jerusalem because you're a Jew. And some other nations, it would be a different religion and different place. And Jesus said, no, 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 we're going to do away with the nation, nation specific. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, I want you to go where? To all nations or all people groups. All right, so this new covenant isn't just for Jewish people or people who want to become Jewish. This is for everybody. So that makes it uh, new, completely new. <clears throat> so, what was considered sacred? It wasn't sacred men, it wasn't sacred texts, it wasn't sacred uh, places. Jesus said, anybody you come shoulder to shoulder with, eye to eye with, they are sacred. So you're sacred and you're sacred and you're sacred. And we're all more sacred than this building or some other building, some temple, cathedral, or any other Jerusalem, the, the temple, temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, no, you're sacred, not these places. And so consequently, uh, some Jews started to flock to this new movement. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, because they, they followed some pagan religions that really didn't work for them. They weren't very helpful. In fact, their gods didn't really like them. And this Christian God uh, liked, you know, liked us enough to die for us. So a lot of uh, non-Jewish people flocked. But then the Jewish people that, that, that came to the way, the Jesus movement, they had an issue. They had a problem. They had a tension because they had all this Old Testament, for a better word, baggage. And uh, Jesus was Jewish. And the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples were Jewish. And so they couldn't separate the two. In fact, they thought it would be sacrilegious you can't separate, you know, my connection with God from, you know, the Ten Commandments and all those other rules. So, we give you kind of a heads up about next week. Next week's really going to be important. It's going to be emotional. This series is going to be a little difficult for us uh, as we deal with some of that religious baggage we have. We're going to talk about this next week. Our conscience determine religious reality, whether they reflect reality or not. All right? So our backgrounds, our upbringings, our family, church, culture, whatever, determine our rights and wrongs, how we see what's religious and what's not, what's holy and what's not. And it's kind of like this. <clears throat> and guys don't do this. It uh, doesn't work too well in marriage. Don't tell your wife they shouldn't feel that way, right? Uh, feelings are real. Sometimes they're not justified, but feelings are real. And it doesn't do any good to say you shouldn't feel that way. Uh, hope you learned that lesson if you're married very long. Or uh, have anybody say to you, you shouldn't feel guilty about that? Do you stop feeling guilty? No, you don't stop feeling guilty because your conscience, something in your background told you that that's something that you should feel guilty about. So you feel guilty about it. So it doesn't do any good. Now, I grew up in Glen Burnie. It's near Baltimore. I started going to church as a teenager. And it was a Baptist church. And so... Um, a lot of my friends were Catholic. 
and uh, quite different from the Baptist church. And so that, you know, they would have, they felt, feel, they, they felt guilty if they didn't go to mass and to confession. And I said, well, why? I mean, you don't, you don't have to go to a priest. You can just tell God your sins and, and, and you're fine. On the other hand, being Baptist, we didn't have anything to do with alcohol. We didn't even touch it. And my Catholic friends would say, hey, we, we, we have alcohol at church. <laughs> and so, depending on your background, everything is different. You, you, rights and wrongs, what's holy, what's not. And um, so we're going to talk about that next week. So that's a biggie. Hopefully you can, you can join us. So what these Jewish Christians would do, they would attempt to assimilate the Jesus model, this new thing, with the temple model, the old thing. And so we, can't, we don't feel we can get rid of that. We like this new thing, so we're going to just kind of mix them together. Now that kind of sounds okay, right? Well, Paul comes along to the rescue, so to speak. Paul was a Jew of all Jews. He called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he memorized whole books of the Old Testament. If you are going to be a good Jew, Paul was the best. And when this new movement came along called The Way, Paul thought it was horrible. And so he made it his number one goal in life. He was a driven A personality type. He says, I'm going to stomp it out. I'm going to get rid of it. He told God, I got this, God. I'm going to wipe these folks out. And he might have if God hadn't got a hold of him. He became a Jesus follower. And so he put all that passion, all that energy into uh, this new thing. And... Uh, so he became a missionary, especially to non-Jewish people, even though he was Jewish background. And so today we're going to look at, a, at something he wrote to a group he started in a, a town in modern Turkey called Galatia. And so he went there, he started a, a gathering, an ecclesia of Jesus followers, some of them Jewish, some of them not, and uh, taught them this, this new movement, this new way, and they left and went other places. Well, evidently what happened was some other missionaries that were of Jewish background came to Galatia and said, hey, that's great what Paul's taught you, but he just didn't give it all to you. Uh, there's some things he missed, some things he left out, and we're going to tell you what you need to do. And uh, <clears throat> again, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but it really was a big deal. They were saying, you have to become Jewish first, just like Jesus, just like disciples, if you want to become a Jesus follower. And, and we have a name for them. They're called Judaizers because they Jewish Christians who believe Gentiles or non-Jewish people must convert to Judaism to join the Jesus movement. So the Jesus movement was just uh, grew out of Judaism. So if you're going to be in the Jesus movement, you have to be in Judaism. They're basically saying you have to take it all. You have to be all in. You have to do it all if you're going to be uh, a Jesus follower. We're going to blend these together. Now, Paul believed this was horrible. He thought it was a heresy. He, he got so upset about this that we're going to give you a word that you probably don't use very much. Apoplectic. It's hard for me to even say it. I sometimes see it referred to our political situation uh, these days. But it basically means you are I rate, you can use the word pop, you're going to blow your stack, you're going to pop your cork. You are so enraged about something. And that's the word we're going to use to describe Paul 
as he's dealing with these Judaizers. He's saying, you've departed, you've left the way, you've kind of lost your way. He said, you've diluted, denuded, and polluted the message of Jesus. It's no longer pure. It's diluted. It's, it, it's, it's polluted. And he's going to say to Galatians, what happened? I taught you the truth. And you started so well. And so we're going to pick it up in Galatians uh, chapter 5, this letter that Paul wrote to them uh, after this, these things transpired. <clears throat> so Christ was tr has truly set us free. Now this word free is going to be a biggie. Um, and whatever your religious persuasion, if you're a believer, in, uh, a Jesus follower or not, and if you're not, we're glad that you're here, but whatever beliefs you have about religious type things, Here's the question. Does it make you feel free? Do you feel free? Because Paul said, Christ has truly set us free. So if you have pure Christianity, if you're purely following Jesus, you should feel free. So he goes on. Now, make sure that you stay free. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, you remember back when you stepped across that line, that, that, that tremendous feeling you had of being forgiven all of your sins, the burden of sin away. Now, some of you were pretty small, you might not have remembered it. But if you were older, you remember it. And if you're like me, I haven't always felt that free other times in my life, and it's been like 50 years now. So Paul's saying, hey, you started out feeling free. Make sure you stay that way, because that's pure Christianity. And he says, don't tie it up again in the slavery to the law. So as soon as you stop feeling free, the opposite is enslaved. And whatever that is, he's describing it as law, because it's usually some do or don't, right? It's making you not feel free or feeling guilty. And then he goes on, listen. Now, Greek has no punctuation. So the translator is trying to get us to understand how passionate Paul, in this case, was when he was writing this. So he said, please pay attention to what I'm going to, in this case, write next. And he reiterated who he was, Paul. I tell you this, if you're counting on circumcision, now one of these things these Judaizers were teaching the new believers in Galatia was, if you're going to become Jewish, you got, guys, got to be circumcised, got to be surgery involved. If you think you need to do that to make yourself right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit, of no value to you. So Paul is saying, it's not a question of mixing these things. It's an either or. You've got to choose. Now, Paul wasn't against circumcision. He was circumcised. <clears throat> it was about what it represented. It was about adding something to the message to make yourself right with God. But it, it had to be more than just Jesus. All right? So he said, if you're counting on that, then it, Christ is of no benefit. Because if Christ couldn't get you right with God, then if you're going to try and get there with some other stuff, then Christ wasn't enough. So you have abandoned this new. You've gone back to the old. Like we said the pro last week, was the problem isn't that we added something new to this Jesus movement. We brought something old back in. And that's what, that's what they had done. So he goes on. I, I say it again. <laughs> Please make sure you get this. If you're trying to find favor with God outside of Jesus, 
By being circumcised, you must obey every regulation of the whole law of Moses. Okay, so the old way, you can't just pick and choose from the old way. You've got to take all the old way. So you've got all the 630-some rules and the Ten Commandments, all this stuff you've got to do if that's the choice you're making to make yourself right with God. If you're saying, no, it's not Jesus isn't, it's going to be something else. So it can't be a blend. It's an either-or. Take Jesus or take the whole law of Moses. He goes on. Let's make sure they get, the, get this. If you're not... <clears throat> for if you're trying to make yourself right with God again by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. Again, there's no, these are opposites. They're not something you can just mix together. It's an either-or thing. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, I've been trying to illustrate this. <clears throat> say you've been coming to church here for a while, maybe for a long time, and you come to me and say, Pastor, I, we have so much appreciate this church and you and your wife. You've done so much for our, our marriage and for our family and for the community. Uh, we just want to show how much we, we, we appreciate you. So here, I want to give you a $100 gift card. Now, you can do this if you want to. That would be fine, all right? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 that's too much. That's a, you, know, you can't afford to do that. Let me give you $50 for it. And you say, no, 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 I, I want to give you a gift. Uh, I'm going to give you $25 for it. No, 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 no. I, this is a gift. No, it's too much. Let me give you ten, at least $10 for it. And you say, okay, you can give me $10 for it. Now, at that point, is it still a gift? It's a discount card, right? 90%, that's a great discount, right? It's a discount card. It's no longer grace. Because grace is what? Free. 100% free. Grace is not something you earn, something you deserve. It's not getting what you deserve. It's free. And so Paul is saying, anytime you start bargaining with God, I'll take the $100 gift card, if I can give you 10, start bargaining with God, you know, if I get circumcised in this case, or if I do this, if I give this money, if I go to church, if I pray, I read my Bible, all good things, if I help the poor. He said, when you start bargaining with God, that God, you're going to like me more if I do this, our relationship's going to be better, I'm going to find more favor with you, then it's no longer grace. You've fallen away from grace. Grace wasn't enough. And then he goes on. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. See, all these laws make no difference one way or the other in making your connection with God. In Jesus, God says, by grace, we're okay. I'll never love you any more than I do now. I'll never love you any less. You're circumcised, uncircumcised, you go to church, don't go to church, even though that's a good thing for other reasons. But it's not going to affect my relationship with you as God, any of these do's or don'ts, whether you do them or not. Now, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? No matter what religious, especially church background you come from. And the th we talked about this last week. The things that you tend to want to resist, and if you dropped out of church for a while, the reason you did that, are things the church should resist. And so he kind of summarizes it up, gets to the main point in the next verse. He says this. 
What is important? Not circumcision, uncircumcision, Ten Commandments, all this other laws. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. That's it. That's it. If you want to judge how you're doing, look around. <laughs> how are you doing with the folks around you? If you're good with them, you're good with me. That's it. See, the temple model says, hey God, how am I doing? I went to church today. Hey God, how am I doing? I gave some money to the poor. Hey God, how am I doing? I, uh, I prayed, read my Bible. And God says, you don't have to ask how you're doing. How are you doing with the people around you? You've heard me say this before. If somebody is willing to die for you, then they're for you, right? They're for you. They're all for you. And he goes on, use a little analogy. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? You, had it, you got it right at the beginning. It's all grace. It's all Jesus. Who's held you back? Well, it certainly wasn't God, right? For he's the one who called you to freedom. You know, it's like you're trying to run and people are, something's holding on to you. He said, no, 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 no. So who is it? Well, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Now, I have never baked anything in my life. But I watched my wife. And so she puts that little bit of yeast in there and that gooey, doughy stuff and it, it impacts, it affects the whole, all the dough, right? You might say it this way. A little legalism, a little bit about do's and don'ts affects the whole thing. It's not can't, can't be just an add-on. It affects the whole thing. Another way of saying it, it only takes a small dose of the wrong thing to corrupt the whole thing. So when you start some, adding something to Jesus, it corrupts the whole thing. Now, we get to kind of the R-rated portion of the Scripture today. All right, and this translation kind of makes it a little, little easier to swallow. But we'll read it. Now again, remember, Paul is extremely angry at this false teaching that's affected this group of people, this ecclesia that he, he helped start. He said, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Literally, it means castrate themselves. You want to cut a little? Go ahead and cut a lot. Pretty extreme, right? That's what Paul is saying. You can't blend the two or you lose the best part. So, kind of summarizing what Paul had to say. First, if you try and do this, if you try and blend in the temple model with the Jesus model, leaders become self-righteous. Always. Now, why would that be? Well, if I think I've got more truth than you, and you've got to come to me to make yourself feel right with God. I've got a lot of power. We talked about this last week. And if power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So I become self-righteous. I can't help but feel I am better than you. I've got insight you don't have. So consequently, you as followers become hypocrites. 
Because you can't meet my standard, but you want me to think you can meet my standard, so you act like you're meeting my standard, right? And so it's fake, it's false. And what even I have to do is I have to dumb down the standard. So I feel good about myself. And of course, Jesus came along and did what? He upped the standard. In fact, he upped it so high, nobody can reach it. Well, you know, I've been married 40 years. I've never literally committed adultery. Oh, you think that's what it's about? Have you ever had a lustful thought about a woman? Guilty. Well, I've never killed anybody. In fact, I've never owned a gun. Well, did you ever hate anybody? Somebody cut you off in traffic, in traffic and you just wanted to, you know. Ugh, well, you're guilty. So he jacked it up so high that nobody could reach it. And that's the purpose of the law, really, is to say, hey, you can't do this. And God says, I, I come, through Jesus, I've come to do it for you. And then, of course, the text gets manipulated. Remember I told you when I was Baptist and couldn't touch alcohol? And then people would ask me, well, didn't Jesus drink wine? Well, it wasn't really wine. Because I have to manipulate the text to meet my religious background. But, you know, in that marriage ceremony, Jesus made this wine, and they said it was better than all the other wine they had. And it wasn't real wine. See what I mean? You've got to manipulate the text to fix your beliefs. But the worst part is this. People got mistreated. Let me ask you, have you ever been mistreated by church or by somebody that called themselves a Christian? Don't need to raise your hand. We all have, right? Go ahead. So he says, if you cling to the old, you miss the main thing. And the main thing should be the main thing, right? So he goes on back with this theme about freedom. Because none of this is free. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your... Now, here's the the downside, the flip side, and the people that argue against the freedom of of grace. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Your freedom to serve one another in love. Well, if I'm free, I'm free to do whatever I want. And if you're kind of in the Baptist tradition, you just got to... You fill up your sin bucket during during the week, during the day, and you just say, you know, I confess my sins to God. He forgives me and forgets them. Well, I don't know if he really forgets them. You think God forgot that David and Bathsheba thing? I don't think he forgot that. I don't think he forgets hard. He doesn't treat us as if he remembers. And of course, if you're Catholic, you just go to the priest and you confess, you empty your bucket and fill it back up again. He said, no, 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 no. That's your thinking you completely misunderstand. It isn't freedom to get back into sin because that's slavery. You don't use your freedom to get back into slavery. It's your freedom to serve one another in love because you have the freedom now. You have the motivation to not be selfish anymore and to be able to serve others. And he said, this is big time. This is important. No playing games with grace. And then he finishes this way. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. One command? What about our, you know, three, six hundred? What about ten commandments? They've got to be important, right? No, no, no. Whole law can be summed up in one commandment. Now, Jesus, we already talked about Jesus saying this. Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. What about all that? You do this, it takes care of all the others, right? This can take all your time, energy, and effort for the next, well, the rest of your life 
<laughs> you can focus on this. Now the interesting thing, what comes out of the Old Testament? So the Jews had the secret formula, so to speak. Now probably everybody's seen this movie. And uh, in this movie, you know, it's long. It could be about 12 minutes long. You know, you have the her, uh, tornado and she winds up in Oz and the house falls on the witch and she puts on the ruby red slippers and at that point, she could have clicked her heels together and been back home. Now we would have missed a lot of cool stuff in the movie right, if we did that. But she had the secret all along. And the Jews had the secret all along. And he begged, Paul is just saying, the rest is details. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know how you're doing how, with me, God? How are you doing with your neighbors? How are you doing with the people around you? Let's go back to probably the key verse in this, this passage, verse 6. What is important? Yeah. Don't remember anything else? You've heard anything else I said this morning? What is important is faith expressing itself in love for your neighbor. Does that feel extreme? Yeah, a little bit, doesn't it? And again, we talk about that next week. Because it's, it's got to be more than that, right? But can you imagine? Can you imagine if you and I would do that? We'd focus on that. I know I'm good with you, God. I accepted Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. Sins are forgiven. Thank you. I'm going to express my appreciation, my faith, in the way I treat other people. Let me ask you, the folks you would invite to church and say, nah, uh, I don't want church. Do you think that's what they're resisting? No, that's not what they're resisting. So this week, give you a challenge. Whenever you're about to do something, ask yourself the question, what does love require of me? When you're dealing with your family, your spouse, your children, your parents, people at school, people at work, students. Simple question. Not easy to answer sometimes. What does love require of me? Again, we'll pick this up next week. and Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you for grace. We can't talk about grace enough. And it's hard for us to grasp because we just aren't don't easily give free gifts. And we don't easily accept free gifts, especially something as huge as this. The fact that because of what Jesus has done, we're good with you, God. <laughs> and since we're good with you, we can focus on making it good with other folks. And that will impact their lives, that they'll want to become good with you. I pray for any of you this morning that hasn't stepped across that line, hasn't received that gift, that you encourage you to just do it now. Just say, yes, thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your gift. I accept it. I don't need anything else. And then you're part of the family. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and grace and your mercy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.